Amen. Good morning, Grace Point. I've been enjoying the worship this morning. It's awesome. Awesome. I appreciate what Crawford shared. I was uh, sitting there. Uh, he said, are you, are you playing with your phone or you got something? And I, was actually, <laughs> I was actually looking up. If you see me cut my phone on there in, in this building, I'm not checking Facebook. I promise you. But, you know, I was thinking, I was looking up uh, the passage in John where they came to arrest Jesus. And those Roman soldiers asked him his identity. That's literally what they asked him. They said, are you the Christ? You, you, are you the one that they call the Son of God? And, and remember, Jesus said, I am. That's all he said. He, he agreed with the Father, I am. And when he said that, it released power. Because the Bible said they all fell backwards. Now, these are not saved Roman soldiers, but they succumb to the power of God. And there's something like what Crawford was saying. When you, when you know that identity that's in Christ Jesus, then, then you can use that authority because you're literally in Christ. That's what the Bible teaches us and tells us that, that, that that's our identity now. And, and there's so many of us, uh, you know, we, don't, we, don't, we just don't get that. But when you, and I'm going to talk about it this morning, and it's something we talk about fairly often here, but the word confession means, it doesn't mean what the, the average person that comes to church thinks it means. When you say confession to a Christian, when they hear the word, literally confession, tell me what's the first thing they think about. What's the first word that comes in their mind? Sin. Right? Sin. And we were all taught that. We were raised on that erroneously. The Bible says in Hebrews that if the sacrifice worked, there would be no more consciousness of sin. It said that they were offering bulls and lambs and goats, but they was, it, it never took away sin, and it never made the one who approached God perfect. So therefore, they had to just keep doing it. And it said there that there was a yearly reminder of their sin. Most Christians get reminded of their sin every Sunday. And what Sundays become in a lot of churches is just a weekly confessional. You come and you repent and confess your sin and you go out to live another week of defeat. And then you're going to mess up and come back next Sunday. And you know, we do the priest thing, Father, forgive me for I've sinned. Don't ever talk about the Catholic Church. We're a lot worse. Come on now. Um. Today I want to talk to you about the power of grace. And it's kind of really connecting with what I finished up with uh, last Sunday. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. I'm going to just read uh, this out of two different translations and then let you be seated. But it says, my grace is sufficient for you. That doesn't mean barely enough. That means more than enough. For my strength, and notice it's capital M. That's God's strength, Jesus' strength. My strength is made complete or perfect in what? Say the word, weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul said, I would rather boast in my infirmities. The same Greek word means weaknesses. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. The reason that some people don't experience the power that grace releases in their lives is because they won't boast in their weaknesses. They try to take control of it themselves. They try to defeat it themselves. Uh, they, you know, have you ever met anybody that takes a bath before they take a bath? 
In other words, they want to get clean before they go to get clean. Some people try to get their act together, get their life together before they approach God. That, that, that's the same thing. It's like trying to take a bath before you take a bath. Jesus is what cleanses us. Amen? Now listen to the same verse, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And this is, I know you don't have this, and we, I don't think we have it up on the screen. But anyway, this is God's word translation. I like this to help you see it. But he says, but he told me, my grace is all you need. My power is strongest when you are weak. So I will brag even more about my weaknesses in order that Christ's power will live in me. And see, this is the power of grace. This, this is the big idea right out of the gate here. The power of grace is, is this. When we fail, it isn't a defeat. It, it isn't a defeat if you know who, what your, who your identity is. But it's an opportunity for you to boast in your weakness because your weaknesses actually force us, force you and I to trust in the power of Jesus, in the power of Christ. In other words, the power of grace. And, and, and people miss the power of, of, of God, the power that grace releases for mainly two reasons. They, they either look to their own abilities, in other words, they try to establish their own righteousness. They, they think that righteousness is something that, that they can achieve instead of something that we receive. And they try that through human effort, which God will always reject human effort. Or secondly, they focus on their failure, their sin, whatever. And what they do is they erect sin as this gigantic barrier between themselves and God. And we talked last week that your sin is not a barrier to God's love. Now, God don't want you to do it, and I'm not saying don't worry about it. I mean, you don't do it, but God loves us while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And, he dem and it says he demonstrated. He didn't just say, I love you. He demonstrated how much he loved us. And that's what, of course, next Sunday is the focus of the resurrection, the, the, the power over sin, death, and the grave. Amen? Y'all happy? Y'all seem kind of. You need to move out of your seat and greet some people and welcome them and show that Grace Point love to everybody this morning before we go, go. Greet them, welcome them to Grace Point. We're glad to see you here. Okay, I'm going to have to call time. I love that. I love to see you guys do that. As next Sunday, is, as we celebrate Passover, the resurrection of the Lord that the world calls Easter, uh, 
again, I just encourage you to invite somebody to come, particularly if they don't have a church. They, you know, just invite them, text them. You don't even got to see them. Just send them a text. Say, I'd love for you to join me at Grace Point next Sunday. Uh, my wife and I are leaving in the morning, going to drive out to uh, Grand Saline, Texas, to see her mom. Her mom's birthday this coming week. Uh, what day is it? Thursday, I think, maybe. And she's turning 81 years old. And uh, she's been battling uh, some cancer in her body. And we're, we're just believing the Lord to help and heal uh, that. But we're going we're gonna to go out. We was out a few months ago. We're going to go out. And then we're going to leave Saturday morning to come back so we can be here with you guys on Easter Sunday. Amen. So y'all pray that I can drive out 15 hours on Saturday and be here Sunday morning bright-eyed and ready to preach. Amen. But uh, it would have been easy for us to just hang out there, but I, not that this makes me, you know, I'm not asking for the Christian purple heart or anything, but but it's my commitment to this house and to you to just be here uh, on that great day. And, and so invite somebody, come and be with us, and, and we're going to be here, and and uh, we're going to go out to Grand Saline. They call it Grand Saline. It means Grand Salt, and that's where the Morton's folks got started. Y'all heard of them? And there's still a salt mine out there very close to their their mom and dad's house that uh, where they're still digging salt out of there. Isn't that something all these years? And uh, now you know something. See, you learned something today. Hallelujah. I want to uh, look in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14, 15, and 16. And uh, the power of, of God's grace is not... You know, I hear people say such ridiculous things like grace is a license to sin and this and they just don't understand the word of God. The Bible says that the, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It doesn't teach you to sin. And if you're sitting under real grace preaching, it, it releases the power of God in your life to live out of the truth of who you are in that new identity which is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4.14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest, let me, just, let me just drop down to verse 16, then we'll come back to verse 14. How about that? Let's do it different. In verse 16, it says, Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of what? God's not sitting on the throne of judgment concerning you. He's sitting on the throne of grace. And it says that we may obtain what? Mercy and find grace in to help in time of need. Uh, it, it, goes, it says, For we do not have... Uh, uh, a high priest that can't be touched. Now, most Christians, they, they quote this verse about come boldly that you may f uh, find grace to help in time of need. And most Christians just quote this passage and, and about getting their human needs met. And God does do that. Thank God that he, he does meet our needs. But that's not the focus of the verse. The focus of the verse is talking about weaknesses. And this is the time when a lot of times when people fall or fail or, 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 or sin, whatever it is, they, they, they run from God instead of running to God. That's what legalism does. And, and, but the point of this is that there is weakness there. And when you are weak, God says that he still invites you to come boldly to this throne room because it's a throne of grace, not a throne of, of judgment. And, and that you do what? That you obtain mercy and, and you find help. That's when you, that's when you, uh, that's when you need it. And, and if you look in verse 14 of, of, of Hebrews 4, it says that we have this great high priest. He's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And then he says this, let us hold fast our what? There's that word, confession. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Verse 15 says, because we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our what? 
There's that word again, weaknesses. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, he says, come boldly. See, in other words, the context for us to come boldly to the throne room of grace is weaknesses. He's talking about the focus here is that you've got weaknesses in your life. There's weaknesses there. And, and when, you, when you're at your weakest, when you have blown it, when you have sinned, when you have failed, instead of hiding from God, instead of groveling in your sin and, 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 and all that, he says you come with your confession. He says you hold fast your confession. Now, now what does it mean to hold fast your confession? And again, the word confession is the Greek word homo logos. Homo means same kind. Logos means the word of God. Most Christians don't even know what the word confession means. They, they got a one-track mind on sin. They make sin the focus. I told you focusing on sin to overcome sin is like staring at chocolate cake trying to get delivered of eating sweets. It's just not going to work. See, the, the whole purpose of the law was to make sin exceedingly sinful. The purpose of the law was not so that, you, that God ever believed that any of you could obey it. Because no one has. The, keeping the law will not make a person holy. Listen to this statement. The, Jesus, did he keep the law? He fulfilled it. But the law didn't make Jesus perfect. It just affirmed that he is perfect. Do you see that? The law found no fault in him because Jesus fulfilled or, or kept the law on our behalf. That's what Romans teaches us. So when, 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 it's, when Paul's talking about weaknesses, but he said how you do this thing and how you come boldly is, is, is you hold fast your confession. And, and, and so homo logos, homo same kind, logos the word of God. In other words, the, the, the literal word confession in the Greek means to agree with God. It, listen, it means to say the same thing that God says. In other words, you agree with God. See, when Jesus, they went to arrest him, they said, are you the, are you the Christ? Are you, you the Son of God? He, he agreed with God. And he said, I am. And it released power. See, when you agree with God, in spite of what it looks like, in spite of what you've just done, when you've got weaknesses, when you have failed, that's when you, you hold fast that's when you need to hold fast or hold hard on to your confession. What's your confession? Righteousness. Now, a lot of Christians don't know this. I told you Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. Nobody argues that the 10th chapter of Romans is not about how to get saved. It's about how to get saved. And you've heard me say this over and over, but it, the point is needed. He's telling us how to get saved. But listen, the word sin does not appear in the whole chapter. Because sin is no longer a barrier between you and God. Now the church spends a great deal of time trying to erect it back up and make it a barrier. That's why when somebody wants to be saved, they, they say first thing you do is say the sinner's prayer. It's not in the Bible. Thank you for that silence. I appreciate it. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. Now, now, you may get tired of hearing this, but I don't get tired of telling you. Acts 16, Philippian jailer comes to the Apostle Paul. You know, they just had a demonstration of the spirit and power of God in there when the prisoners' bands were loosened, and he sees the power of God manifested. He says, what, he looks at the Apostle, says, what must I do to be saved? Let me tell you what he, Paul did not say. Paul did not say, bow your head, close your eyes, and confess your sins. 
I guess Apostle Paul didn't even know how to get somebody saved because that ain't how the church does it. You go to any church, first thing they're going to tell, preacher, I want to get saved. Well, confess your sins. That's not how you get saved. Because that would make salvation contingent upon your ability to recall everything you've done wrong. And the word confession is right here, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Let's just read it. I know you got it memorized. But that if you'll confess, it's got nothing to do with sin, with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Can that be any clearer? Right, so you're confessing with your mouth. What are you confessing? Sin? No, you're confessing Jesus. And so that you understand what your confession is, verse 10 says, For with the heart one believes unto what? Righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So your salvation did what? It made you righteous. Instantly. When I say the word righteousness, what do you immediately think? Do you think doing or believing? I'll tell you, most Christians hear the word righteousness, they think about what they got to do. Righteousness does not come by doing. Romans teaches that so clear. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Righteousness comes by believing, not by achieving. You will never live righteous in your own strength. God, our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. God doesn't accept it. He, he, he doesn't receive it. Now, when that jailer asked the apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? What was Paul's response? You know this. I tell you this almost every Sunday. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then he even threw it in and your whole household. Because you can't stick one Christian in a house of heathens and not some, have some effect. Come on. Light's going to always overcome darkness eventually. Hang in there. <clears throat> I remember when my family was all away from the Lord and I was a 19-year-old teenager and I had come back to God. We, I, I had a weird theology back then. I thought you could get saved like 20 times. Uh, so I considered myself, I got saved again. You don't get saved but one time. You don't get born but one time, and you don't get born again but one time. But I was a prodigal. That's why as a teenager and living like a hellion, I would drive by my old church where I had gotten born again at 12 years old, and I would be by myself coming back from, this makes me old, discos and places like that. And, uh, and I would see the church, and I would see the cross on the outside of church, and, and, I, and by myself in the car, nobody there, I would just cry. Now, what makes a person do that if they're lost? It wasn't because I wasn't lost. I just didn't have nobody to help me. I, I, was, I was a prodigal. I was away from Papa. But a prodigal son is still a son. Don't ever forget that. I've told you this. People ask me, well, what happened if he'd have died in the hog pen? He'd have died as a son. Some sons die in hog pens because that's what they choose, but that ain't God's will for them. Amen. He was a son when he left Papa's house. He was a son on the road to do riotous living. He was a son when he was eating with the hogs, and he was a son when he come home smelly. Sonship don't change. Amen. 
So all that that apostle told the jailer was just believe. He didn't say anything. He never mentioned sin to a guy asking him how to get saved. He never mentioned the word. Why? That's got to be startling to us. Nobody knows how to get saved better than Apostle Paul. And he never mentioned sin to the guy. Why? Because sin don't have anything to do with a person getting saved. Why? Because Jesus accomplished what he came to do. He took away the sin of the world, which included that jailer's. And sin is no longer a barrier to God's love. And it's not that, that they need to get saved to receive forgiveness because forgiveness by itself doesn't save a person. Forgiveness does not equal salvation because God has forgiven the world. He has reconciled the world unto himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. For God was in Christ, reconciling the sin of the world unto himself, not imputing man's trespasses against them. God's not keeping a record. When it says reconciled, if you reconcile your checkbook, what did you just do with it? <clears throat> you balanced it. You balanced it. God said, I myself was in Christ, and I myself reconciled the sin now of the world unto myself. I am not imputing, I'm not keeping a record of people's sins, trespasses against them. It says it over and over in the New Testament. So how are you being punished by God for sins he don't even keep up with? <clears throat> how is the Holy Spirit, who is God, convicting you of sin when he don't even keep up with them? Oh, look at your church doctrines fall all apart. Holy Spirit's convicted me of my sin. He does not convict a Christian of their sin. I love when I say that and I look out across the congregation and I see the brows and the eyes do that because you think I just committed heresy. Acts was real clear that when they lied, they lied to God, the Holy Spirit. God is the Holy Spirit, right? Nobody's saved except you have the Holy Spirit within you. Jesus said, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of mine. None of mine. So I thought there's a verse in the Bible that says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. It says he convicts the world of sin. The world, for they know not God. Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. The world. The lost. Because they know not God. In other words, he convinces, the word is literally convinced. He convinces them that they are sin. That they, they need a Savior. And, and, but once you're born again, the Holy Spirit, the only thing he's doing to you is he is trying to convince you that you're now righteous and that you will hold fast to that confession. And that's how you will overcome stuff and get up out of the mud when you do fail quickly. That's why the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he keeps on getting back up again. Why? Because he knows he's righteous. If you fall or fail or do some sin and miserable, whatever it is, but the people that stay down, quit going, you know, stick a pistol to their head, they, 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 they don't get back up again because they don't know they're righteous. They don't know their identity. Now, Romans 10, look what it says in verse 1. Romans 10 and 1, same chapter, he says, Brethren, he's talking to Christians, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul was a, was a Jew. And he said, I so want my people to, 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 to be born again. And he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. A lot of people are zealous for the Lord, but they're zealous with wrong information. 
Don't, don't ever mistake zeal for correct doctrine. Okay? Just because you say it loud don't mean it's true. Just because you shout it don't mean it's true. For verse 3 says, For they being ignorant, this is where most of the people are, they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they are seeking to establish their own righteousness, and they've not submitted to the righteousness of God. When people don't, don't embrace the finished work of Jesus and that, 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 that your salvation instantly made you righteous, then, then they're trying to create their own righteousness, and, they're, and it's, it's a rebellion. They're not submitting to God's righteousness. And then look in verse 4. People love this. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. People stand trying to get you to keep Ten Commandments. Law ain't got nothing to do with me no more. The only law I respond to now is the law of faith. That's in your New Testament. <clears throat> Thank you. I was waiting. I was just going to wait and see how long it takes to get at least one. So I've said this statement for decades. People misunderstand it. They misquote me. I'm not going to give you one dime to help you get the Ten Commandments posted in no school, no courtroom, no building of any kind. You're going on your crusade. All I know is when God put the law in that box called the ark and he sealed it with the mercy seat and he commanded them to never open it. Y'all Have y'all ever seen Indiana Jones? You saw what happened to them dudes when they cracked that lid? You know in the Bible that, that there were some people, the Philistines captured the, the Ark of the Covenant and they carried it back to their heathen land and they opened it and like 38,000 died that day. That's worse than what happened on Indiana Jones. Because none of that was even real. But that was real. They died because they looked at the law. In other words, they removed the mercy and with their own flesh beheld the law. God sealed it in a box and said, never look at it. We've been steady trying to shove it in people's faces as if they could keep it. Well, brother, don't you believe in keeping the Ten Commandments? Nope, not a bit. Because ain't nobody ever kept it, including me, you, and everybody else, your mama and them. Nobody's ever kept Ten Commandments. Well, I'll keep it. No, you don't. The, out of those Ten Commandments, there's only one that says, remember this one and don't break it. Only one that says, remember this one. Out of all these ten, don't break this one. It's the Sabbath. In regards to what Christians may say, Sabbath is not today. Sabbath is a day that God established with the Jewish nation. It begins Friday night at sundown, and it ends Saturday night at sundown. And even people that try to feign that they're keeping the Sabbath are breaking it. Because if you go anywhere, if you wipe dirt off a table... If you do any kind of work, you go to eat, you prepare food, if you do anything other than walk a short distance to a synagogue, you have just broken the Sabbath. And the Bible says that if you break one commandment of the law, you are guilty of the whole law. The Bible said the law was given to shut the mouth of those who boast. Jesus came to preach the law to people that were under the law. 
The book of Galatians says that Christ was born under the law to redeem those under the law. And Jesus' inaugural sermon in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with that chapter and subsequent following three chapters long, a long sermon. And he preached it from the top of a mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's his first sermon. And, he, and his disciples came to him and he sat on the mountain, it says in verse 1 of Matthew 5, and then he began to teach them and he began to say these things. Blessed are thee and blessed are those that mourn and blessing. And he just started teaching. And what he's doing is he's bringing the law to bear. And I told you, and you hear me talk about this often, but Jesus, Jesus came to, to make, they had watered down the law. The Pharisees, scribes, the people, like we're, we're doing pretty good, we're obeying the law. Seventy's not passing with God. God don't grade on the curve. It's not like do your best and God will do the rest. Because if your best is involved, you're, you're doomed. Seventy's not passing. You know what's passing with God? A hundred. You have to make a hundred. Now here's this one that really Christians get really mad at me. You know, they said nobody's perfect, Brother Dale. Well, I say you doggone better be because that's the only people going to heaven is perfect people. Swallow that one. I said the only people going to heaven are perfect people. And if you're not perfect, you're not going. And again, the brows and the eyes as if, what is he talking about? I'm talking about the Bible. God's requirement is perfection, always has been. In that sermon, Matthew 5, the last verse, Jesus says, be ye perfect. And then he defined the level of perfection, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you not understand what that verse is saying? It says, be as perfect as God is. You've got to be just as perfect as God is. That's how perfect you've got to be to go to heaven. Where are you going to get that? What benevolent deed, what, what kind of life would you live that you could say, I'm as perfect as God? See how this destroys your attempt to try to save yourself? You know in that same chapter that Jesus said this, he, he's talking to these people, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, when those people heard that, it blew their minds. Because the scribes and Pharisees, these dudes were no joke. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee before he got born again. Joseph of Arimathea was a Pharisee, and he was a great guy, and he gave up his tomb that his family had so Jesus could be buried in it. There were a lot of great Pharisees. Nicodemus, who come to Jesus by night in John 3, was a Pharisee. And he came seeking the truth. And who this man was. And that's the man that Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe upon him should not perish but have life everlasting. I'm glad Joseph, and I'm glad for Nicodemus, and I'm glad for Paul. These Pharisees, man, they lived it. They, they were so strict, and they, they were trying to, to, to do everything the law said. And, but Jesus blew their mind and said, You've you got to be more righteous than these guys. And they were like, who then can be saved? Jesus said, none of you with anything you do. 
Jesus said, you know, you guys have heard it taught and preached that thou shalt not commit adultery. And some of you think that you're pretty good on that one. But I want to say to you that what the law intent is, that if you've ever looked at another human and you lusted after them, you just broke that commandment and you are guilty of adultery. Guess what Jesus did? He made everybody listen to that sermon an adulterer in that moment because they all were. Jesus said, you have heard it said that thou shalt not murder, but I say to you that if you've ever hated your brother with anger, you are guilty of murder. Everybody just got made not only adulterers but murderers. It's a sad bunch, isn't it? And that's what the law is to do for the letter killeth. The law is to kill you. The law is to, to shut the mouth of them that boast against you. The law is to say, stop trying to save yourself, dude. If God's going to require a hundred, where are you going to get the hundred from? The law cannot make anyone righteous. The Bible said the law makes sin abound. It makes sin exceedingly sinful. It illuminates sin. Paul said, I wouldn't even know what covetous was except there was a law that said, thou shalt not covet. And then it made me want to covet. You want to see if the law in work? Make a box, of, uh, a plate of chocolate chip cookies, put them on the counter and tell the grandbabies don't touch them and leave the room and watch what happens. So y'all can have them after, after supper now. Don't eat them for supper and, and don't eat them cookies and walk out the room. You come back in there, they're going to be crumbs around their mouth. They would not have known they was cookies except you told them they was, and you told them not to eat it. That, that caused their, that to rise up in them to want that. That's what the law does. That's what its purpose is. Grace does not fix the old nature. Listen to this. It buries it. For you were crucified with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you shall also be raised with Christ. Amen? People, you know, when I got born again, they told me I still had a sin nature. Well, brother, it's just your, it's not my, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's what churches teach. If you're born again, it is not your nature. In other words, it's not natural for you to sin. You are capable of it. You're just not as good at it as you used to be. That's why when you do it, you don't feel good, maybe just for a moment. But afterwards, it, it, the, the taste lingers badly because it's no longer your nature to sin. Because now that you've been born again, you have a different nature. You are a partaker of his divine nature, Second Peter 1 and 4. It says we've been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the what? Divine nature. What does that do? It causes you to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. And, 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 that's, and that's, that's, what it, that's what it does. That's what, that's what the purpose of it. So that's when the, people don't understand that it says for we're not under the law we're under grace now some people get upset they say well the law does the, you're saying the law goes away I've never said the law goes away the law is, is, is eternal the law of God is true it's, it's, it's righteous it's eternal the law will never go away for the law is meant to let the sinners know that you can't live up to this standard 
But, but Hebrews 10 in verse 1 Listen to this, Hebrews 10 and 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow, it's just a shadow of good things to come. But it's not the very image of the things. Now, when you leave here today, are you going to go eat the shadow of a chicken, or are you going to actually eat a chicken? Are you going to go eat a hamburger, or a shadow of a hamburger, or are you going to eat the... You can eat all the shadows of hamburgers you want, and you won't never feel full. you got to get the real thing. The law is just a shadow of good things to come, but it's not the very image of the things. And listen, listen to this. Can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach what? What's God's requirement? Right there it is, perfect. If you look on down, I think it's in verse 14 of that same chapter, it says, he has, with one sacrifice, he has perfected forever them that are in Christ. Listen to me. When you got born again, you were made perfect. And the reason the church gets confused about this is because they don't understand the difference between spirit and flesh. They don't understand the triuneness of man. Let me tell you something. Not all, not all of you got saved when you got saved. Your flesh did not get saved. Your flesh is still lost as it was before you got saved. I said your flesh did not get saved. And your flesh, that earth suit, is not going to inherit the kingdom of God and it's not going to heaven. Go ahead and kiss it by. You ain't going. But God's going to give you a new body that's incorruptible. But as far as what happened to you when you got born again, it, you were born into the kingdom of God. You were born righteous. You were born holy. All these are gifts of God. The Bible in Romans, Paul said, the gift of righteousness. It's a gift. You don't achieve it. You don't always look righteous. I don't always look righteous. If you, if you follow my, I don't always act righteous. People cut me off. I want to talk about their mama for a few minutes. Make me smoke my tires. You know, I don't feel saved right in that few moments. Just ask Sister Jill. She has to ride with me sometimes. I feel it's my duty to instruct people on the road to drive better. <laughs> anyway, I want to get on that. But God has perfected forever them that are in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're perfect. Walk up to the average Christian and say, I just want you all to know I'm perfect. On the inside, I am. My spirit is joined and made one spirit with the Lord. How could I be anything less than perfect? That would mean God joined something less than perfect to that which is perfect that can't happen. You think the Holy Spirit lives in a filthy house? No. God, your born-again spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit. That's perfect. The Bible says you are one spirit with the Lord. Now, the flesh is still the flesh. Someone said, well, I feel like I still have a sin nature. No, you've got a sin habit. You're riding in an earth suit that had a habitual habit of sinning and left to its own devices, it will covet that stuff again. That's why a Christian commit adultery. A Christian can do all kinds of these sins of the flesh if they yield to that, but that's not who they are any longer. Their identity now is in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. God didn't make the old you with a paint job or sand you up a little bit, try to make you a better person. You were so bad off and I was so bad off, God had to bury us. There was no fixing that. 
you had to, you're dead in trespassing and sin, and you need to be resurrected in the life of Christ. And, and, and so Hebrews 12 and 23, again, this is three verses I've given you, says that God, God is the God that the spirits of just men are made perfect. Just men, men that have, what is just men? Men that have been made righteous, same word. Justified, righteous, same word. So God is the God that of, of the spirits of just men who have been made perfect. So when you're born again, you are your spirit, that part of you that was born again is perfect. Now, out beside your spirit, then you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's in the New Testament. Paul talked about the triuneness. And your soul, that's, that's where you get hurt. Is your soul. But when you sin, you do not sin with your spirit. Read 1 John, and that's why people don't understand that. 1 John will just fry your brains, man, because it says, whatsoever is born of God does not commit sin, neither can they sin. It, it, well, I, what that, no, don't tell me what it means. I done read it. It says that if you're born of God, you cannot sin. It doesn't say it's hard for you. It says it is impossible for them to sin. Have you ever read 1 John? It says it's impossible for a Christian to sin. Why? Because the seed, the word seed is spermazoa. The sperm of God is within you and you cannot sin. He who sins is of the devil. They've not been born again. They're children of darkness. But once you've been born again, you can't help but look like your mom and daddy. You can't help but look like your daddy because why? His sperm went in. And God's, you don't like the word, but God's seed, righteous. And you were born again. That's why it says, if you walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. All the, these are the sons of God, the, 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 the spirit, walking in the spirit. For these are the sons of God. You're living out of your spirit. And when you learn, this is the power of grace here. See, because if I'm, sin shall not have dominion over you. That's what Romans says. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Why? For you're not under the law, but you're under grace. If there's no law, you can't get a ticket. If there's no speed limit, you can't charge me with speeding. If you remove the law, you cannot give me a ticket because there's no law. The only thing Satan ever has to accuse the brethren with is the law. He's the accuser of the brethren, not the accuser of sinners. A lot of you like to quote the verse out of Isaiah where it says, For no weapon formed against you will prosper. And it says, for every voice that rises up against you, you shall condemn. For this is the inheritance of all the saints. And then God ends the verse by saying, for their righteousness of me, saith God. That was the prophet prophesying about this new covenant that was coming. And God said that, that when people try to, to condemn you, he said, for every weapon, no weapon formed against you will prosper. And for every accusation that comes against you, he said, you shall silence it. You do it. You do it. This honor, this inheritance hath all the saints. And then God says, for their righteousness is of me. So you've got to stand up for your righteousness. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says that, that uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
for theirs is the kingdom of God. You will be persecuted if you believe that you are righteous. When you get around legalistic, mixed doctrine Christians who believe a little bit of law and a little bit of grace and everything, then you will be persecuted. Because they think the righteousness is something you do instead of something you receive. And you can spend your whole life doing all you want to do, but you will never by one sweat of your brow make yourself righteous. And that is actually an enmity against God. And you are saying that Jesus did not accomplish what he was sent to do, and I can do better. And God hates that. He loves the person, but he hates that. Because you're saying that sacrifice did not do what it was sent to do. God gave grace. We're saved by grace. I told you last Sunday through faith. And that faith is in a person. So why, why is this so important? Why is this revelation that you're righteous? Why is it so important? Be because what your, be your behavior is totally determined by what you believe. I said your behavior is guided, directed by what you believe. And, and you will never change a person's behavior by addressing their behavior. The only way a person's behavior will ever consistently change is their belief system changes. And if I can get you to believe what the Bible teaches, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that you are now and forever righteous, even when it don't look like you are. And when you have weaknesses and you fail and you will, and when you fail and sin against God, Instead of, I know that you've been taught what you're supposed to do is confess your sin and you grovel in it and waller in it. But that's really not what the Bible says at all. There's only one verse and it's 1 John 1 and 9 and everybody trots that one out to disprove what I'm saying. And they said, well, you've got to confess your sins one by one. You know, and if you're faithful, you know, if you confess your sins, he's faithful just forgive you all sin, cleanse you all unrighteousness. To cleanse you of what? So you tell me that verse is for believers? So that would make a believer unrighteous. How can you be an unrighteous believer? It says if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Not one time ever in any part of the Bible does God ever call the saved unrighteous. That proves you that verse is not written to Christians. And if you care about this and it's the truth, none of those uses of the word sin is a verb. Not one time. It's a noun. Most of the church don't even know what sin is. They think sin is something you do. Sin is an entity. It is a thing. First time the word sin appears in the Bible is after Cain murdered Abel and God used the word sin. And he personified it as third person. He said, for he lieth at the door. He desires you. And he's talking about sin, he said. He made it a person. When it says he whom you knew no sin became sin, it didn't mean that he became sins like things you're going to do that's wrong. He said he became the noun, sin, person, place, or thing. I told you no book in the New Testament uses sin more than the book of Romans. 39 times. Only one time in the whole book of Romans is the word sin a verb. What does that matter? It matters greatly. Because if you misunderstand what sin is, you're going to spend your whole life fighting something that ain't even real. 
And so in 1 John 1 and 9 where he says that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just, he's talking to Gnostics. He's talking to people who do not know or deny the existence of sin. They said that we have never sinned. He said if you say you've never sinned, you make God a liar. For Jesus came to deliver the world and take away sin. And if you say sin don't even exist, you make God a liar. But these were people that said sin don't even exist. There ain't no such thing as sin. And, and, and John's writing to them said, listen to me, man. The sin is real, and if you'll confess, agree with God, that there is sin and you have it, then God will be faithful and just and to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you in that moment from all of your unrighteousness. And you'll be righteous from that point forward. But a Christian is righteous. Once you're given the gift of righteousness, God doesn't take it back. Oh, well, you sin, you know, need to put that sin under the blood. Your sins ain't under the blood. Ain't nobody sin under the blood no more. You ever heard people tell you that, church? You need to put that under the blood, brother. That's just people making up stuff. That's like sweep that dirt up under that rug. Still there, we just got it covered. That's what atonement was. That's what Old Testament sacrifices of bulls and, and lambs and, 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 and goats did. But Jesus didn't atone from sin. He removed it. How did he remove it? As far as the east is from the west. He, he took it away. He took away the sin of the world. It says Jesus was the propitiation. That means the appeasing sacrifice to God. He, it says that he died taking away the sin of the entire world. It says it over and over. He took away the sin of the world. Does that include yours? Or are you some special entity? Does Jesus have to come back, climb on the cross again to pay for your sins? He took it all. And it says by that one sacrifice he perfected forever all those that would believe in him. So, behold a perfect person. I'm perfect on the inside. I don't always display that perfection. My spirit cannot sin for it's been sealed. The Bible says my spirit has been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, until it was redeemed, this body. I told you before, it's like you can get a nice... Uh, uh, you know, steak, whatever, whatever you like, filet mignon, okay? And you vacuum seal it and lay it on the table, on the picnic table. Flies flying around, woo, steak. Woo, they come in for a landing. And you might walk by the picnic table and all you see is like five or six flies on that steak. Man, I wouldn't eat that. That's just beautiful. It's sealed though. They're not touching the steak. Because they've been sealed. Now I know all you focus on because your sin conscious is the flies. All you focus on is my weaknesses, my failures, my sin. But my spirit, brother, don't let the flies fool you. I'm sealed. <laughs> I'm sealed. I'm better than vacuum sealed. I'm blood of Jesus sealed. I'm redeemed. I'm the righteousness of God. I, 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 see, the Bible, look at, look at this in Ephesians 4, 24. Verse 23, Paul says, put off the conduct of the former man. You're not that old man anymore. Don't live like that. You're not that guy. He says, and put on the new man. Not the painted over man, not the old man with a paint job, but put on the new man, look at this, past tense, which was. Everybody say was. That's past tense, right? I just want y'all to help me. Which was created according to God. God says, I created you according to me. 
Remember when Jesus told them, be ye perfect even as your heavenly Father? God said, I made you perfect as I am. Which was created according to God. Look at this. In what? True and holiness. Holiness ain't some. I, I grew up, man, and, and I'm not knocking the people, man. It was just, my granddaddy was a wholeness Baptist preacher. Boy, you get a wholeness hooked up with a Baptist, you got you something, bro. <laughs> my granddaddy never had a TV in his house. My grandmother didn't wear britches unless she was going in the John boat fishing, and then she still wore a dress and put britches on under it. My grandmama didn't cut her hair. Because somebody told her that would be a sin to do that. So she always wore it pulled up. And I remember the first time when I was a kid, and I saw where she pulled that bun down, and, and her hair, uh, Crystal Gale, y'all too old, young, Crystal Gale ain't got nothing on my grandmom. That, uh, that hair hit, that gray hair hit the floor. That's the truth. That's how long my grandmother's hair. And when I saw her light the first time, boy, it freaked me out. Kind of scared me. <laughs> kind of looked like a witch or something. Because eh? she always wore it up. Because she was taught holiness. You don't have TV. You don't go to worldly amusements. You don't cut your hair. You don't wear britches. You, you know, and the list, just, the list never ended. And I grew up under that. And so I tried to, 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 to model that. And it was a miserable existence. I remember somebody at my church, everybody at church always had their opinion what you needed to do. So that one, one guy told me, you know, he said, well, after I got married, he said, he said you, 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 don't, you don't need to be wearing that wedding ring. It's, uh, that's jewelry. God's against jewelry. So I remember me and my wife, we ain't been married long. I took my wedding ring off. I'm trying to be a holy man of God. Man said, he's older than me. He said, I got to get rid of the, and I remember I come home without the wedding ring, and I, I told Jill I wasn't going to wear it no more. And she grabbed her, and she said, I ain't wearing mine either then. I said, well, I don't believe that part. Put yours back on, I'll put mine back on. We're going I said, you, you too fine, baby girl, be loosed on this street, him without a ring on that. <laughs> I ain't taking that chance. I'll just take my chance with God on wearing this. I'm, I can't put you out there like that. And I remember I, I wouldn't wear shorts. You, I didn't have a pair of shorts when we got, when we got married. I, I, I made she even stayed with me, as nutty as I was. And who made me that? Religious people made me just nutty. First family reunion we go to up at Myrtle Beach. Is that North Carolina, South Carolina? South Carolina. So I'm meeting a lot of her family I hadn't ever seen, but I'm a holy man of God, glory to God. I'm having to associate with a bunch of heathens from Texas and all these people coming in. But we was at the beach. Well, I didn't go to the beach because you, you couldn't go be saved to go to the beach. But our, our, the house was right on the beach. And so I went swimming with her family and all. They're looking at me. And so I got on blue jeans and a T-shirt, and I'm swimming in the ocean. Like to have drowned myself because that stuff is heavy when it gets wet. I'm, I'm telling, am I telling the truth? So I'm out there in the ocean, and, and they're looking at me. I, I, I can't even believe I live like it. They're looking at me like I am a nutcase. Jill has found her a nut from South Georgia to marry and I, I'm out there swimming with them in the ocean with long britches, T-shirt on, weighted down. And, and I'm looking at them like they've stared at me. And I'm looking like, all oh, y'all going to hell. All oh, y'all got him with shorts on and you got him with your bikinis. All oh, y'all going to hell. I'll be done. I, might be, I might be about to drown out here, but I'm the only one that's holy. 
That's how dumb I was when we first got saved. And I remember getting to the place where church and God and everything just became so miserable, I thought about not going back no more. This was before I was a preacher. I just, they never ended with the rules. Oh, you, you can't have facial hair. Oh, you can't have a beard. I remember we went to a, a, a holiness church for a homecoming. That's where they preach and you eat. And my dad, and it was my grandmother where she was a member. And so we went to be with me, Mom. And, you know, so she wanted all of us to come. And so, you know, we, we was going to the church of God. But they didn't care if you had a mustache or a beard there, you know, as long as it didn't get too long and all be, you know. But, you know, and then I always thought in our vestibule they had a picture of Jesus with real long hair and a big beard. And if somebody else walked in like that, they'd call him a hippie. But I guess they didn't bother with Jesus. They just hung the picture anyway. Just stuff didn't make sense to me as a kid. And I remember going and sitting on the pew where a guy got up speaking in tongues and, you know, shoot a mosquito, shoot a mosquito, Suzuki, Honda, Kawasaki. And I, I believe in speaking in tongues. Now, don't get me wrong. But he did all that before he made this statement. He said, you, you're sitting here looking like Hollywood with your beard and your tie. And he just basically condemned anybody in that church service that had a tie or a beard was going to hell. And I looked over at my dad because he had a tie on and a beard. And I think he was the only guy in the whole church that had that. And that's why my daddy and my family rode that roller coaster for years. Because, and we, our life was filled with a lot of hell, not because of the devil, but because of religion. Because my daddy would just give up and say, I can't live it. I'm going to hell anyway. I remember my mama being at a hole in this church where she was praying to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is fine. But, and so they're praying for her and trying to shove it in her and some saying, hold on, some saying, turn loose. You don't know what to do. And they're doing all of that. And they looked and they saw my mama's wedding rings, her wedding band and her wedding ring, engagement ring. And these women, I remember watching these women grab hold of my mama's hand and start trying to pull the rings off of her fingers. And they're hurting her finger and they're pulling. And, and in the middle of that chaos and religious hell, my mama walked out of that church, and it would be like 10 years before she'd ever walk back in another one. My, a few nights before that, she had, my mama had gotten saved. And my mama's beautiful. She's probably watching me. Hey, mama, I love you. And, and uh, is she I love you, mama. And my mama's just a beautiful. She's 80 years old. She's gorgeous, okay? And she likes to wear makeup, and she likes to fix her hair, and she's just pretty. Like that, and I'm not saying you're not if you don't do that. You do you, I do me, okay? And, and but but when my mama got saved in that holiness church, she tried to look like those women, so she put her hair up. That was weird. I'd never seen my mom with her hair up, and then she took off all her makeup. And I remember we went back to that church the next night, and all the women gathered around mama, and I heard them say this to her: "You got it, you got it, Ann, you got it." How do you know she got it? Cause she wiped makeup off and put her hair out, and she dressed like she's coming in on the Mayflower. And you know that was miserable. And that's why my family, they just couldn't live that. And so most of my life growing up, our family just majored in heathenism. Because, you know, the, the thought was when my parents, you know, my dad, we're going to hell anyway, ain't going to make it anyway. Might as well try to enjoy what you can because, you know, we're going to make this. Because, see, they thought that was the standard and they thought that it was some way that you achieved that by, and it was a miserable existence. But, oh, thank God, the day that grace began to invade my heart and I actually read the Bible for myself and I began to see. And I'm still learning and I'm still growing and I don't know it all. 
But I know God that I know today is not the one that church told me about. He's not that God. The God they told me about was the Godfather. He would hurt people, put you in the hospital, would get you attention. He would drown people, send tornadoes, hurricanes, and all that kind of stuff. He doesn't do any of that. How many storms did Jesus send when he walked the earth? How many people did Jesus refuse to heal? How many people did he make sick? Trying to teach them something. How many people did Jesus give cancer to? Trying to teach them a lesson. Jesus don't break legs. He, he don't do any of that. If he forgive the world of sin, what's he judging them about? Oh, God's about to judge America. He's about to? He's about to. All of a sudden now, in 2022, God's about to do something. I got so tired of hearing this, not prophetic, but pathetic. God's about to. He's about to. God's about to judge. You need to about to sit down is what you need. Because you're about to get on my nerves. God done about did all he going to do at the cross. And we now receive, have received the fullness of God. Colossians says you are now complete in him. God said I've given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. You have it all. I'm not withheld anything. You have my spirit that raised my son from the dead dwelling within you. You've got everything you need. God's given it to us. And when you begin to walk in that truth, then you start living, and I say this all the time, and, and it's, I feel like I say it, but, you, but I, you live out of the truth of your true identity is in your spirit. This flesh left to its own self, this flesh wants anything that a flesh person wants. It, it just does. But that flesh is going to get new body. That corruption is going to put on incorruption. But, but you're, you're, you're a new person. And so that soul, mind, will, emotion, should be influenced by the spirit, not by the flesh. Right? And, and, and when, you, when you understand that, then you, you, you walk in that, in that victory. And you walk in and you live, you, you sin far, you just sin less. I just don't know how else to say it. When I stop making sin my focus, and what Hebrews says, that if the sacrifice worked, there would be no consciousness of sin. I was raised with to, to have an awareness and consciousness of sin. I told you I've had somebody years ago sitting off, a lady came wanting us to be involved with something, and she was sitting there just talking like people do, and she said, you know what, Brother Dale, what's wrong with the church today is we don't have enough preaching against sin. And I, 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 don't, I, I don't know who was it. You weren't in there with me. Was it, I think it was Pastor Gene. She looked at me because she knew I couldn't leave that one laying there. And she's like, mm -mm, you didn't say that in front of him, I know. And I said, ma'am, I mean all respect I can muster here for you. But I disagree with you totally. That is not what's wrong with the church. If preaching against sin was going to make us righteous, we'd have been righteous a long time ago because I've, I've, I've grew up on that. And I've had people yell out and name sins. It don't do nothing but make sin exceedingly sinful. But what we need to know is what Jesus accomplished on the cross when he didn't lie and said it's finished. I didn't leave anything unfinished. He said it is finished. And the completed work of Christ is what grace is and it's God's gift to you. And that grace has power for you to live out of that grace. You're not under the law, but you're under grace. So if the law's been removed, then Satan's got nothing to accuse you with. I promise you, anytime you hear an accusing voice, Satan is quoting law. You broke a law somewhere. And he's using law. But if you remove the law, then he's got nothing, Satan's got nothing to accuse you of. 
because he doesn't have the law to use against you. But if you're ignorant of this, then and you think that you can see, you, you can be out there on the Autobahn in Germany, I've never been there, but they say you ain't got no speed limit. But imagine you can be on there and, and, and not be aware of that, and, and there could be a policeman to pull you over and write you a ticket. But the reason you accepted that and paid the price is because you were ignorant that there is no law here. I can drive fast as I want to. But you can be buffaloed into it if you don't know. This is what Satan does. He accuses you. He tries to buffalo you into to believing that, that you're being judged by God based on your obedience to the law. Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf, and he gifted that to you. So as far as heaven is concerned, I have fulfilled the law because I am in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation. I am the righteousness of God, and I have been gifted righteousness and holiness. I was created this way when my father born me again. Okay? And now I'm going to live my life with that truth. And when I do mess up, and I have, probably will again, I don't have it circled in red on my calendar. I don't have it scheduled. On this day, I'm going to commit a big sin, and that's going to, mm -mm, I don't have, I think there's something wrong with you if you got it on your calendar. Right? But when I do sin, what I'm going to confess in that moment is I'm going to come boldly to a throne room of grace. And I'm going to boast in my weakness. You're right. Weakness, big time. That just makes me trust and depend upon God. And this is my confession in this moment of seemingly great defeat. I confess Jesus Christ is my righteousness. And I'm still as righteous before God now as I was before and as I'll ever be. I'm as saved and ready for heaven as I'll ever be. I am one spirit with Jesus Christ. And I will not live this life in that mess. That's not who I am. I will get out of that. I'm a righteous man. I have fallen, but I will get back up again because I know that I'm righteous and it was gifted to me. I didn't achieve it. It's not based on my performance. It's based on his performance. It's based on what he did at the cross. Can somebody say amen as you stand to your feet? Amen. God bless you guys. Man, y'all just pull it out of me. Praise God. Man, I love to see so many of your faces. Man, it's like you're just leaping inside. That's what grace does. Grace is not the foundation of Christianity. It is our life. I told you all the time, grace is not a teaching or a doctrine. It's Jesus. Noah said, I found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace has eyes. Grace has hands. Grace has a mouth, and his name's Jesus. That is what we've been saved by grace, through faith in him. Not that any man should boast. So when my weaknesses try to overtake me, I'll boast in them so that the power of God may rest upon me. And I'll say, I, that's, and I always just, I, you know, everybody's got their way to talk to God. I don't know how many times I've told God, God, I don't want to be that guy I just was. Lose your temper or whatever your deal is. I don't want to be that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. I'm righteous before God. I confess that. I agree with you, God. Even on, in my moment of weakness, I'm coming boldly to you, and I confess uh, that I'm righteous before you because you gave that to me. It wasn't based on my performance. That ain't how I got it to start with, and I sure can't lose it now. Can somebody say amen? I'm going to dismiss you. God bless you for being here. Next Sunday's going to be the bomb. Now, don't miss it. Okay? And I pray that if you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus and you need some help with that, I'm going to be standing right down here. It would be my privilege to pray with you about that or anything that you want prayer for. And if a lot of you come, my elders, they'll pop out here and help us too because they love you. We do love you. We care about this ministry and this church. And 
and what God's doing here. I can feel a momentum. I was telling somebody this past week, I said I hadn't done anything any different. Actually, it was a guy coming into my house. He doesn't even go to church here. He was measuring some stuff for me and Jill. And he said, ain't you the preacher? And I said, yes, sir. You never know where that's going. <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah. He said, you know, I hadn't been to church since COVID hit. And he said, I need you to tell Father to give me a swift kick in the britches to make me get back. And I said, well, I'll talk to him for you, but I'll tell you this, he won't kick on you. He don't kick nobody. He'll just draw you with cords of love. And you're needed in the church, I told him. Because whatever gifting God's got in you, they're absent that right now. And they just, they, they need you. And he said, man, you, you give me something to think about. He said, I just got out of the habit of it. Just kind of quit coming. He said, I ain't scared of COVID or nothing. He said, I go to other places. I said, yeah, people, I've seen people, they don't go to church, but I run all over them in the restaurants and Publix and Lowe's. I don't know how that's any safer than this house here. It isn't. I, I don't mean that condemning, but you're, you're missing something. There, there, there's, you know, I love Facebook, and I appreciate all that, and I'm glad for that, and there are people that really need it. But there's nothing that takes the place of you being gathered with God's people in a building where God can manifest. And in these past eight weeks, have we not seen miracles and prophetic work? We, we've seen God do amazing. Have we not? In the, in, right before our eyes, in the past two months, you know, two and a half months, amazing things right here in this sanctuary. Not because we're special, but because he's special. And he's got gifts of the Holy Spirit, and he loves people, and he's just trying to show his love for a world that desperately needs to know that he's not angry. He's not who people make him out to be. He's a God that loves us, and he's come that they might have life. He's already took care of the sin, and he's reconciled that to himself. Now, they don't enjoy the benefit that, they're, that God's forgiven them until they put their faith in Jesus. But what they need and what this world needs is they need life. Jesus said, I've come that they might have not forgiveness, but life. Forgiveness, God said, yeah, I've already done that. God didn't need your permission to forgive you. He forgave you when Jesus shed his blood because that's how forgiveness comes. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sin when did Jesus shed his blood 2,000 years ago he's forgiven the world of sin and he's not imputing their trespasses against them now what he says is be reconciled to God because I've already reconciled myself to you I've removed the barrier you can erect it again but it's not God the sin barrier that's in your mind God said that's not the issue the issue is come to me and trust me for your righteousness that you might have life my life I'll give it to you and once you get, receive his life, it's eternal life. That's the only life he has. Eternal life he gives you. And you live out of that revelation. And you begin to smile. And you begin to know that God's not condemning you. And you're not walking under a taskmaster or a ruler, but you have a throne of grace. And when you do weak things, you can come boldly. God said, I invite you to come boldly. Because you don't have a high priest that can't be touched by the feelings of your infirmities, your weaknesses. But come on to me. Amen? So, Father, I love you, and I'm so glad that we're loved by you. Thank you for your grace, the power of grace in our lives. And, Father, let us walk in that power so that the power of God will come upon us. We boast in our weaknesses. We don't let them defeat us because you've already defeated all of it at the cross. And, Father, we bless you because we're blessed of you. In Jesus' name. Amen? God bless you. If you want prayer, please come down. God bless you. We love you.